0: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell.
1: I'm Tiffany Parks.
0: Now, last week we kicked off our season number 10, but this week we're actually going to mark the occasion by... That's right. ...doing what? Well, musing on why anybody would do anything for 10 seasons... (laughs) Or better yet, other things that lasted for 10 seasons. And also just how short and how long a season and a lifetime can feel. I don't know. I'm just riffing here. Tiffany is in Rome. I am in Seattle. And this is the official 10 year season kickoff in my mind. Tiffany, you were looking up other famous things that lasted for 10 seasons. So why don't we just start there?
1: Well, really just sitcoms, sitcoms that I grew up with. So I noticed that Friends lasted for 10 seasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Seinfeld a little less. Seinfeld lasted nine seasons. And I guess because these are the shows I grew up with, they feel like they were endless, you know? Yeah. It, fe- it didn't feel like they lasted only as long as this show has lasted.
0: Yeah. And I don't know how many seasons MASH lasted for, but just well, recently... I can look it up. Uh, yeah, look it up. A couple <laughs> weeks ago, it was noted that MASH was celebrating its 50 years since it first went on the air. And because I can remember MASH and when it went off the air, I was really like, 50 years? You were tiny. That's how long ago MASH actually started. How- it was
1: 11 seasons.
0: Okay. So you would
1: have been... A very small child when it went off the air. What were you doing watching MASH at six years old, Katie?
0: I don't think I was watching MASH. <laughs> I, I'm sure that I was more just picking up on, I don't know, the image of Alan Alda. I can't imagine that it was any more than that. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this show, Tiffany. I'm sure you know that I grew up with only antenna and television. And the only channel that we happened to pick up with our antenna was CBS. So my entire childhood was limited to Murder, She Wrote, 60 Minutes, Airwolf, <laughs> and the Oliver North trials.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Katie, and, I just feel so bad for you right now.
0: And Billy Graham, I believe, occasionally would pop in Oh, and in Billy there.
1: Graham. <laughs> yeah. oh. I mean, were there any good sitcoms that a kid young person would like on cbs i don't i feel like it was all nbc and abc
0: yeah i, I mean i can also remember that dallas was airing but i don't obviously my mother shows. did not, not let us watch dallas i well, loved no, airwolf
1: i've never heard of airwolf
0: i like mainly liked it for the music the theme song i liked to dance around to it And the family Sunday night ritual was, it was the one night of the week my mom would let us eat dinner on a television tray, which, what a novelty that was. <laughs> and we'd watch 60 Minutes as a family. The only part I really liked was the commentator at the very end. I just
1: remember the timer, the ticking, totally ticking timer of that show. I mean, how old were you? Because I just feel like 60 Minutes is a little bit heavy for kids.
0: I mean, I was an elementary schooler so, and sometime between first and fourth grade. <laughs> and then and then we'd watch uh, Murder, She Wrote after that. And that was the family ritual.
1: Yeah, because, you know, might as well teach your kids young that uh, that people get bumped off right and left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you, you've heard the joke that was she really investigating murder or was she the murderer herself? Because there was always a murder that happened no matter where she was. Exactly. Well,
1: just like, just like Miss Marple, same deal.
0: So we've been doing this show for 10 seasons.
1: We're starting the 10th season right now. So technically we've been doing it for nine and not quite nine years. We started taping the show about nine years minus a couple months ago. So what else
0: in your life would you say that you have done? Like when this ends, we will have been doing this for 10 years.
1: When the season ends. When the
0: season ends. Whenever that we decide that is. And that could be like tomorrow if we get fed up. (laughs) But (laughs) but whenever this season ends, we will have done it for approximately 10 years. We've been, we would have been hosting this show. Is there anything else that you can think of that you've done for so long?
1: Well, I've been married for 11 years and a bit. Okay. So there's that. Um, And how would you compare (laughs) the
0: experience of creating this show to being married?
1: (laughs) Wow, Katie, that is a hard one. Um, they both take stamina. Mm-hmm. Dedication. <laughs> take dedication certainly. and very solid partnerships mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and respect for the person you're working with or living with, as the case may be, but definitely have fought with you less.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't have a lot of fights, so. No. Um, so what about you? I mean, I know
1: you've been married for 10 years as well, but, um,
0: yes. Um, I mean, I, I did work full time for NPR for the same amount of time as this, if not longer, actually, I think a couple of years longer, I was there full time. Uh, I now live, I work there occasionally, but yeah, where I was there day in and day out, yeah blood, sweat, and tears the whole nine yards. I was there for probably two to three years longer than what we've done so far
1: now what feels longer to you that or this?
0: um hmm I mean neither one of them feels too long if you know what I mean.
1: Here's why I asked you that because for me, I, decades do not have the same length, you know, depending on when they were when they happened in your life. For me, the decade of my 20s felt like it was so long, not in a bad way. I just feel like it lasted a long time and I did so much and it just feels like a very long span of time, whereas 30 to 40 felt like 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because when you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, let me imagine my first couple days there and- The person that I was the first couple days there with the energy and excitement that I felt being there, for one, and also how much I had to learn from that point. Because now, of course, I knew how much I had to learn that there was going to be a huge, long journey to like actually get to where I was by the time I left. And so when I think of the span of that journey, it feels epically long compared to creating this show. But of Mm -hmm. course, when I think about this show from a location standpoint, like that this started in Rome when I was living Mm -hmm. there, and since then I've lived in San Francisco for a few years, moved back and forth around Seattle, did that little stint in New Orleans, came back to Rome twice for extended periods of time. When I think about all the things that happened in between, that makes it feel like this has been going on longer. But
1: that's true. it also doesn't feel
0: like it's been almost 10 years since I lived in Rome, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like I've matured as much as that journey I have taken when I started NPR to when I left working there full time. I feel like I matured through that journey far more drastically than I did in the 10 years since leaving Rome.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. I think your 20s, I mean, you're ju- you've just become an adult, you know, when you're 20 you're still pretty much a kid. And the road, I just think the road between 20 and 30. Yeah, it's more of a learning experience. And I'm not saying you don't learn anything in your 30s. Of course you do. But, but you're already, you know, you're already a pretty well formed adult by the time you're 30. Whereas at 20, you're really still a kid, you haven't lived very much.
0: That's true. And I didn't start NPR at 20, though. I mean, I still had to mature to getting to that point at 20. I think I must have walked through the door in my mid-twenties at some point. I don't exactly know how old I was. Um, once I finally got hired there full-time, after about two years of working as an intern, if you can imagine, something I don't feel like we allow today, letting people work for two years two for
1: free. years, Free? <laughs> you were a, an unpaid intern for two years? Yes.
0: That's how dedicated I that was. should
1: be criminal.
0: <laughs> I believe it is at the now, but it wasn't at the time. And at the time, I was very grateful that they let me hang around so much. But I, um, by the time I got in the door and had my first real job there, I think that I estimated once that my host of the show that I was working on was probably about 51. And I was probably around 26. And just the other day we were taking a walk and I looked at him and I'm like, out of curiosity's sake, how old are you now? (laughs) And he (laughs) said, I'm 68. And I was like, wow. (laughs) When you put it, not that he seems 68, but that it just seems like how could it have been that so much time has passed since we started working together? That's hard to believe. But then when you think about it side by side of like all of that time I spent at NPR and then all of the time I've spent making this show, of course – He's 68. It's been it's been a lot of time.
1: Yeah. We talked about the the sort of we didn't go very deep into it, but we did talk a little bit on our final episode in Rome, which aired two weeks ago about the weird sense of time. And I told you I realized while we were talking that the time that had passed since you had been living in Rome and we had started the show was Pretty much exactly the same time that had passed between when I moved to Rome and you came to Rome.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Which is kind
1: of crazy for me because once you moved to Rome, I felt like I had been there forever, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I felt like you'd been there forever.
1: Yeah. I also recently realized that Aurelio has been alive for half the time that I've, or I think now it's more than half the time that I've been with Claudio. Not the time we've been married, like since I met him. Mm -hmm. Aurelio has been alive for half the time that I've been with Claudio. And that seems crazy because I feel like we were together so long before we had him. Hmm. And you know, that he's like this recent addition to our lives. Whereas actually, no, he's been here half the time that we've been (laughs) together. And that seems crazy.
0: Well, where it also seems crazy is that he's been around shorter than this show has existed.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's also, that's also true.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about how long or short it feels that something existed, when I think about Aurelio not even being alive, when we started this, that seems... You know, that does
1: kind of bring it home, yeah. I know,
0: that seems kind of crazy. And now he's our one of our best guests. <laughs> um,
1: he's our mascot.
0: Yeah, he's practically our mascot. One day I hope to pass the reins over to Aurelio and his friends, and they'll just host this show for the next 20 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting, though, when you think about this. How do you think about this show? Do you think of it as like a... Um, An art project? Do you think of it as a job? How do you? I think of it it? as a job. Yeah,
1: I think of it as a job, but it's also a passion project. It's both. Isn't that the ideal to have a passion project that's your job? I do not make, as you know, of course, (laughs) enough money off of this job to support myself. Not even close. But I do make something, so I consider it a job. And I, and none of my jobs that I have support me. Mm-hmm. That's why I have four jobs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's but it's actually for me and my personality. I think it's perfect because I think I would be bored and I think it would be tedious for me to have one job that totally took over my life and that that was sort of all I did. I'm not that focused of a person. I think I can focus on work but it i don't have that all consuming this one thing is my life and this one thing is what i'm going to dedicate every working hour of my life to mm-hmm. um so it really works well for me and i have these different aspects to my personality i have you know my the, my sort of stay at home homebody side which is perfect for being a writer and I have my loving to be wandering around Rome and talking to people and entertaining them which is perfect for my tour guiding side and then I get to have these deep conversations with you which is my podcasting side so it really just is I really consider it one of my jobs and part of my identity now yeah
0: but I think early on and even now honestly from time to time, I feel like if either one of us had wavered in the dedication to, like, let's say if it was like a money motivated thing, it would have never worked. Because we somehow very early on started to feel obliged to keep this show going. And maybe that was me (laughs) as the radio producer who, you know, very early on thought, Wow, only having to put out one show a week, that's so much easier than having to make 10 hours <laughs> worth of material, you know. But I also think that, I don't know, very early on, for whatever reason, we both decided that this was something we were going to put an extreme amount of time and effort into. The fact that it became that it became a passion project and something that we were both invested in so quickly – I don't know what my point is.
1: What is my point? What is my point? I think the point is just that, like that we both became dedicated and I think we we surprised each other. I think I maybe surprised you that I would be so interested in it when an audio was never, never was one of my passions. I, I do have to say, and I don't know if this happened right from the beginning. I'm not sure when it happened, but we started getting and still continue to get obviously more now than then because we have a wider audience now, but we get feedback from our listeners. We just got a letter from someone you sent, you forwarded it to me just like yesterday saying that our show just makes her happy. And, you know, we know that people tune in and we're part of their routine. And it's kind of easier to keep going when you know that there are people out there really appreciating your work.
0: Yeah, you know what else was interesting? I was just thinking about this the other day when I was taking a walk. I was, a couple of different people from the show listeners to the show and some of the ideas that they'd shared over the years were popping into my head that day. We also follow a great deal of our listeners on social media and such. And I was just thinking like, gosh, it's so strange how well we've come to know people flung all over the place that we never would have known otherwise. And I know we've mentioned that on the show before, but Every now and then, it just sort of hits me where you know I'll see uh, Drex's granddaughter or something and be and think and be like, "Oh, what a cute, what a cutie!" and make a comment to him and think, if we had never started it, I would never have encountered these people. Maybe I would have on social media and been like, "What a cutie," but it wouldn't have been you know it would have been just random. It wouldn't have been a person that you encounter over and over and over again, or even with the live meetups, all that stuff. I mean, that's not to say that there haven't been moments, I think, that we, probably particularly me, thought we should throw in the towel on this show <laughs> just because, just because um, it is so much work. I don't know. Have you ever had that moment? Do you remember when I came to Rome in 2018 and I basically had the come to Jesus moment with you that was like, if we can't change the workflow of this show, I can't do it anymore. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, I do. Now that you mentioned it, i had forgotten.
0: Yeah, because you were super busy. I think Aurelia was much littler. You know, you had a full time job. I was also trying to make a living back home. And I remember giving you this whole list of things that we needed to do. To like up (laughs) our game and hopefully get more financial support and hopefully maybe get a nice advertiser or two or whatever it was. I forget was what was all on the list, but it was a lot. And you said, you looked over the list and you said, hmm, well, I could probably do this one. And I (laughs) One. (laughs) Yeah. And it might have been a big task. Like a lot of them were really big tasks. That's the other thing about this podcast is like I always feel slightly behind on it task wise, <laughs> but i remember I remember you saying, "Well, I could probably take on this one, but I don't think I have time for any of the others and I remember saying to you, If you don't have time for the, any of the others, then I'm going to kill this show
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember you being and, so blunt about it, yeah,
0: and then you were like, Well, let me look it over." <laughs> <laughs> Because I, at that point, I was, because, you know, getting anything started is hard. Keeping anything going is hard. And at that point, I kind of felt like I am now basically doing this as a full-time unpaid job. Like I'm back yeah. to being a full-time unpaid intern. Like right. if I, I You know, I have to also have time to pursue things that are paying. And uh, you know, you looked over the list and really took on quite a bit
1: more of the items on that list. And oh, okay, good. I, I've blocked out a lot of this. I, I, I mean, I kind of remember that conversation. Was it on my couch? Were we sitting on my couch? No, no, we were at a, we were at a shop having tea. Oh. By your work, I think. That, okay,
0: that picture you have of me. You kissing my cheek and me looking at the camera. You can post yeah, it along yeah, with this show if you want. I believe we took <laughs> that after that conversation. And I believe what you okay. wrote in the picture, isn't isn't what it says on the picture? The podcasters, what do you say? The podcasters who...
1: I think I wrote friends who podcast together, stay together. Stay
0: together, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a foreshadowing, perhaps. But yeah, that's the only time I remember us, uh, or at least I kind of officially saying something about... You know, the fact that I thought we could not maintain it at this particular pace... Sometimes I still think that's the case. Like if I ever get to a point where I need to pick up like a really grueling full-time job where I just don't have the mental energy. But who can say? I mean, I've squeezed editing this show into the weekends before and and like evenings too. Yeah. I mean,
1: do you remember when you worked for Town Hall? We used to tape when you were on your lunch break, was it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. Because it was noon for you and we were always taping when you were there at Town Hall.
0: Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How funny. And and that was lucky because that job just happened to be a, a job where I worked into the night. Like I usually had to be there uh, till at least seven thirty p.m. if not later. And so my day started later. So you and I okay. would often talk when I had just arrived at work mm-hmm. or maybe wasn't working yet, but I was already mm-hmm. there. Yeah, that job was super convenient. Wait, what if I had a normal full time job? I mean, what we I know, do? we'd have to. I know. Tape all weekend or something, but anyway, I, I've also always found. I was just talking with an other artist recently. I think I told you I took an art class this summer, and did yes. I tell you that? I don't know drawing class. Uh, you, yeah, yeah. And have since gotten to know the teacher of that drawing class. I've been working on with him on a different art project, and we got into a big conversation about art versus money, and he was saying. You know, I've never made art because I was motivated by money. And I said, yeah, that's exactly the same as I am. Even when I worked for NPR, I had my paychecks direct deposited and paid very little attention to it. Yeah, I needed the money to pay the rent, but I didn't, you know, get to payday and check to make sure every dime was in there. You know, it was sort of as long as I had enough money to pay the bills, I wasn't doing it for that reason. You know, I was doing it for a multitude of other reasons. Same holds for this show. But I was telling him, I was telling him, I asked him, I guess, but doesn't money to you, like, at least mean validation in some way? Like, the fact that people want to give you a paycheck for something that you're making? He's like, no, I don't think I've ever really thought of it that way. And I guess that must be my Protestant upbringing or something. Because for me, it's not like I do it for the money, but the money is like a it's like a thumbs up. <laughs> and I so wish I could get past that. I mean, do you have any of that? Like what's your thing?
1: Um, I don't think I've made that connection.
0: Like for instance, no. when you were writing your book versus when your book was published or somebody bought it. Did you feel like something was different in there that like the fact that they gave you this advance and were like I'm going to put out your book gave you the thumbs up that you're like, I've spent all of this time, seven years or whatever, working on this book and somebody paid me for it.
1: Thank kind the Lord. of, Kind of, but not really, because when you get a book advance, unless you're Michelle Obama, um, <laughs> it is not, it's like if you were to take the number of hours that you spent working on that book and divide it, or take the, the advance and divide it by the number of hours you spent working on the book, I mean, it's probably not even $1 an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So it's really, I don't, I can't look at it that way. Um, for me, it was much more a validation that it was the name. It was Harper Collins. That, that to me was more than the, the amount on the paycheck was that somebody, a publishing house that well-known and that prestigious wanted to invest Because it's not just the money they're paying me, you know, it's the money that they're putting into the book Mm -hmm. that they were willing, that they thought it was good enough, that they thought it was going to make them a profit, that they were willing to. um... I mean, but that I guess money is involved in that too, because they clearly are motivated by their bottom line. They're a corporation. All corporations are motivated by the bottom line. So, Mm So yes and no, I would say it's not, for me, it's not really about a dollar figure. Like I would love to be filthy rich. Like, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but how much I'm making for my work doesn't, I don't think correlate to validation. I think it's more of like, you know, when I won the writing prize, that was a huge validation for me, or, you know, I was on the, LA Times bestseller list for one precious week. These are the kinds of things I think that um, that give me the validation. Yeah. So more symbolic things, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. For me, it's certainly separated from the motivation.
1: Me too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. But as I was (laughs) saying to him too, because we were recording this conversation because he's going to do some kind of animated short out of this long sprawling conversation we've had. I don't know what he's going to pick, but we covered a whole bunch of different topics. And I said, but don't you also say, if you can say like money isn't any kind of validation, it's never motivated me is basically what he was saying. And I said, yeah, but you draw a picture and people pay you for it.
1: People don't think think of radio
0: in the same way. You know, people donate to NPR, but they don't
1: think of it as an art form necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the fact that people pay him for his art could be a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely something that will start to happen if if you're dedicated enough and talented enough and promote yourself enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't mean just because he is paid for his work doesn't mean that that was his motivation.
0: No, I don't think it was his motivation, but it's hard to say that it has no correlation. I don't know, but maybe not, maybe not. I don't know. We're going into the weeds here. I was just curious, just because we were just talking about art versus money. And I I think that most artists, well, I can't say that, but many artists, I feel, you know, money is not the driving factor. It's almost like your life is the driving factor.
1: Yeah. I think you could safely say most artists are not driven by money because I mean, if you were driven by money, why would you waste your time with art? It's such a long shot. And most people, even extremely talented people, barely scrape by with their art if you are really motivated by money, like if money is the most important thing for you, you are going into finance or you're going to start your own business. If you're, you know, if you're creative enough, the type of business that is designed to make a lot of money. I think that's what you do if you're motivated by money, you know, or you're a con man, a con woman. (laughs) I think there there are plenty of writers out there and probably other artists too, but you know, there's probably plenty of writers who dream about like, you know, The huge book deal and the the movie deal and all of that, and but I don't think that that is what motivates you to sit down at your keyboard and actually do the work.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Do you think that in the Renaissance, when? painters, for instance, were being sponsored by princes of the church. (laughs) Do you think that their motivations would have also been purely art? Or do you think at that point, being an artist seemed like a much more lucrative thing from your knowledge of history?
1: I would say that being an artist was a lot like being an artisan. Mm -hmm. You know, you were skilled. They were up until really the time of like Michelangelo, you're really a skilled laborer. That's how artists were really considered until until really like the high renaissance. So I think that you're going to do what you need to do to survive. Most artists were not of the noble classes and the levels of society or the classes of society were so inescapable back in those days. For the most part, there are a few rare exceptions to that. But, you know, if you're born poor, you're going to be poor. If you're born as a laborer, you know, or you're born as a merchant, you're probably going to stay that way. So it's like, what do I have to do to continue my way of life and to make sure that I stay at this level? And, you know, if your father is a a cabinet maker, (laughs) that's what you're going to do because you know how to do it. And you know that you can make a living at it and maintain your standard of living And artists, of course, were not necessarily the sons of artists, but they knew that they could make a living. If they were good enough, they could make a living, but it wasn't about becoming massively wealthy. A couple of artists did, but even among the best working artists of the day, I think the ones who really made bank on it were rare.
0: And do you think it had anything to do with making a name? For yourself like having your name last through history or do you think that that is a more modern concept also like trying to create some sort of ongoing legacy
1: i think that was part of it i don't know i don't think it was until the renaissance though in the middle ages they didn't sign anything everything was for the glory of the church at least in the western world but once you get to michelangelo and i mean before him too probably but i mean michelangelo was obsessed with the idea of leaving behind a body of work, what he called a body of work, you know, a really, really big creative output that would survive him and that he would be remembered by.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, we have to leave it there. But before we go, I want to read you, Tiffany, I'm going to open this book. I'm holding a book in my hand here. It's a very beautiful book. It's a cloth bound mustard, yellow and gold colored book Mm -hmm. covered in birds and little vines and i'm going to open it to page 10 since we're kicking off our 10th season and i'm going to read you the very first line okay now you might already have some insight into the book this is but i'm going to have you guess (laughs) what book this is from this line this is a quote now kitty you may cough as much as you choose said mr bennett and as he spoke he left the room fatigued with the raptures of his wife
1: I do know a book you're reading from, Katie, <laughs> as you know that I know. But even if I didn't know, I would recognize that line. Okay. If the character names were not in it, I might not recognize it. But Kitty, Mr. Bennett, uh, it's clearly Pride and Prejudice. You know, if you've if you read Pride and Prejudice, you probably recognize those names. It it's- is Pride and Prejudice
0: by Jane Austen. Tiffany, do you Want to explain what edition this is that I'm reading from? The gold cover oh, with the yes. fabric?
1: This is the Penguin cloth bound Collection. It's a beautiful collection, which probably a lot of our our listeners are familiar with, at least just from seeing me post about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, they're so gorgeous. It's a collection of, I think they're up to about 85 titles right now. They're designed by Coralie Bickford Smith. They're all just exquisite. The colors or schemes are beautiful. The the design always has some kind of subtle connection to the book. So because I adore this collection so much, and because Pride and Prejudice is one of my all-time favorite books, I thought that we could give away this book, which has never been read, to one of our lucky listeners.
0: That's right. And let me tell you, Tiffany suggested this idea while I was in Rome. And on May 12th of 2022, both of us signed it in Rome. Oh, my God.
1: I forgot that we did that.
0: Yeah. You don't remember the inscription, but some lucky bittersweet life supporter is going to know. But we both signed it. And then, and this is no small book when I'm holding up. This is like a, a tome here. I carried this thing across the world <laughs> to, back to the United States thinking it would be easier to mail it to somebody from here rather than from Italy, which is so true, given um, the Italian postal system. It added so much weight to my bag. Thank you so much. Uh. Um, But as a result, we've decided that we are going to give this to one lucky supporter of the show. During the month of September 2022, if you donate $5 or more to the show, we're going to throw everybody's name into the hat that donates $5 this month, and we're going to draw a winner, and I'm going to mail this copy
1: to them. So this is open to anyone in the world who, like we said, supports the show, $5 or more. We have um, a couple of different ways for you to donate. Probably the easiest way is on PayPal. We will include a link in the show notes, but... You can find donate buttons all over our website, thebittersweetlife.net. If you can't figure out how to do that, just email us or write to us on social media. We're also on Patreon. If you're not familiar with it, what would you call that, Katie? Like a subscription donation? (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a way to, to subscribe to the show for $5 a month or more, but you donate every single month. Rather right. Than just and you one get time. lots of prizes, though. You get
1: lots of access, lots of extra content, two bonus episodes a month, live, all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. Live, live meetups.
0: Yeah. And in fact, we were just talking. So International Podcasters Day or International Podcast Day. I don't know. It's a made up holiday, but we're going to celebrate it. It's on September 30th this year, which is a Friday. And so we were thinking that we, for all monthly donors, we would host another live meetup on Friday the 30th to celebrate International Podcast Day. And of course, to record an episode of this show with a whole group of people, which is always so much fun. So, yeah,
1: we've done it twice now, and it really is just such a fun time.
0: Yeah, it's a fun way to watch the show, but also to contribute your thoughts and comments to it as it's going on if you want to. You can also be silent and just watch if you want. But super fun. Uh, so we thought we'd do a gathering and that would be something that everybody who is a monthly donor or a one-time mega donor will all be invited to uh, this Friday, the 30th. But the main thing, the main takeaway... If you want to throw your hat into the ring to get this book.
1: It is a beautiful book. Yeah.
0: Donate $5 a month or more during the month of September. And we'll throw your name into my grandfather's wedding top hat. And you just might be the winner. Tiffany, perhaps I can take some pictures of this book and you can post them online to go along with this episode so people can check it out on social media. Just look for the Bittersweet Life podcast.
1: And Katie, I don't know if you remember this, but I actually underlined One of my favorite lines of the book. And I think I wrote underneath it. This is my favorite line in pencil, by the way. Yes. In pencil. So you you, (laughs) can erase it if that bothers you. If you do get this book and you read it, you will find that little note in there.
0: It's a special edition. So it has a whole section on further readings that you could do if you end up loving this book and and the influences of how this book came to be and i mean it just has all these like added little features commentaries on each one of the chapters so it's a fun beautiful little book we should leave it there and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell
1: i'm tiffany Parks.
0: join us again bye